and welcome back to It's a Musical podcast. The podcast show where I force my boyfriend to watch musicals he hasn't seen by now and then we talk about them. I am the boyfriend. And I am Drew. And as you may have or may not have noticed, we are coming through so much clearer because we've invested and got ourselves a Yeti microphone. Yes, we are currently enjoying the sexiest bit of kit we own yeah our blue yeti Mm -hmm. had a good half hour playing around with it before we started recording and hopefully it is a lot more comfortable for your ear holes this week yeah it sounded clearer when we were testing with it so yeah very exciting what are we watching this week danny we are off to the windy city as we are going to be watching chicago why is chicago called the windy city i don't know (laughs) <laughs> I don't know either that's why I'm asking I, I can tell you quite a few interesting things about Chicago this week can you? I have been there briefly I would love to go there you've probably been to O'Hare Airport haven't you? no actually <laughs> I drove through there yeah so it's a city in Illinois yep. it's the third largest city in America yep. and has about 2.7 million residents Do you just are these just things you know? yeah okay I would love to go visit Chicago. It's yeah, kind of top of my America visit list. But Disneyland. <laughs> Sorry, I'd rather go to Chicago. You've got Wrigley Field, which is the baseball stadium. Yeah. And there was the curse of the Billy Goat from 1945 to 2016, where the Chicago Cubs went without a World Series win. Why is it called the curse of the Billy Goat? Because their owner was something Billy Goat. That was like his oh, middle right. name. Okay. And they actually won the World Series on the 46th anniversary of his death. Oh, cool. Walt Disney's from Chicago. Yes, indeed. He studied art and drawing in Chicago. Yes, indeed. Bill Murray, John Belushi, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler got their start in Chi-Town. Chi-Town. Yeah. Is that what we're calling it? They got their start there. A lot of John Hughes films have Chicago as the backdrop. So... For me, most kind of famously is Ferris Bueller. Oh, yeah. And Home Alone. Mm-hmm. You can actually go to the Home Alone house if you're in Chicago. Yeah. And there's a big old wrestling scene. And one of my favourite wrestlers, not a wrestler anymore, but CM Punk is from Chicago. Cool. And everyone always jokes, what does CM stand for? And he's made jokes himself. Is it Cookie Monster? Is it Charlie Manson? Or is it Chicago Made? Oh, okay. Cool. But he's a, a big figure in like wrestling. And he actually was part of the Thanksgiving parade a few years ago. And he wore the same top that Ferris Bueller did when Ferris Bueller took over <laughs> the parade. Cool. Yeah, big old fan of Chicago. And it was also Gotham in the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, because it's, it's Gotham not supposed to be... No, Gotham's supposed to be New York, I thought. I always read that it was supposed to be Chicago. I've seen versions of Gotham where they've got a Statue of Liberty. Ah. Because I always assumed Metro City was supposed to be New York. Yeah, I... Or Metropolis, or whatever they call it. In... (laughs) This is such a tangent. In Batman Forever, the one that has Tommy Lee Jones as Harvey Dent Mm Two-Face, I'm pretty certain, like, Batman's got to stop him in the Statue of Liberty... Okay. So there are some versions of Gotham where it's New yeah. York. 
Yes. I just know from um, Smallville, because that's what I grew up watching, Metropolis is New York. Yeah. Like, that's the way that it's talked about and depicted and, you know. Yeah, it's possible. We're not here to talk about just Chicago, though. No. We're here yeah. to talk about the 2004 film adaptation starring mm-hmm. Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yes, amongst others. Amongst others. Those are the two names that I remember. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the guy who's in it, but I'm going to kick myself when you tell me his name because I will know it. Richard Gere. I was going to say Richard Grant, but yeah, I know him as well. He's Is he Pretty Woman? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't really know him very well, to be honest. I think for me, this film is most famous for He Had It Coming. Yeah. I think that's one of the most famous Chicago songs. It's not called He Had It Coming, but yeah. But you would know, you know what I mean by He Had It Coming. Do you know what it's actually called? Oh, it's the Jailhouse something. <laughs> it's not Jailhouse Rock. The jail, what is it? Jailhouse what? I don't know. It's the Cell Block Tango. There we go. Cell Block Tango. Yeah. I was close. Jailhouse Rock. It was the... <laughs> <laughs> basically those, the those Cell Block the, Tango. Yeah. Those mean the same thing, basically. Yeah. I kind of love that. So that one's very famous. I know that one. It's on my Spotify playlist. And back when I was 15 and we were doing devised work for GCSE drama... Mm-hmm. My drama teacher used that song as a stimulus. Yeah. So, yes. The plot of this film. Renee Zellweger gets arrested and put in jail for a crime. Did she commit it? I don't know if she's guilty of this crime or if she's acting innocent and she actually did it. Mm-hmm. Cell Block Tango makes me feel like she is more innocent and like she doesn't belong in the company of these people. But even the other stories, some of them are like, yeah, he had it coming, but I shouldn't be in jail because I just did what anyone would have done because he deserved it. Catherine Zeta-Jones is in jail. She readily admits that she did it, Mm -hmm. but is kind of more playful with it. And she befriends Renee Zellweger. Sure. I don't... There are friends or there's a rivalry. You tell me. Is it based on, like, historical figures? Is this, like, true crime? Is this biographical? Uh, semi-biographical. So the people that we're following in this are real people. Are based very loosely by this point on real people. So this is, yeah, this is like a, a crime that shook America. Uh, or at least shook Chicago. It's, it's not so much the crime that's, that surprised people as the outcome for women yeah. of these crimes. Yeah. Because this is around the time that women start to get convicted and they still have the death penalty. Yeah. So women start to get hanged or put down, essentially, for murder. Yeah. Which, their delicate sensibilities, women aren't capable of murder. Yeah. And sort of pre this, obviously women have been killed a lot throughout history for different reasons. But before this, realistically... A lot of women would have just been sent to psychiatric hospitals, or which is almost worse. They'd have had like the lobotomy, sucker punch type deal. Yeah, I like that film. Interesting film. Super weird. Got Zack Snyder the DC job. Yeah. 
So yes, the movie version of Chicago, the 2004 movie that we are watching. You're right, we've got Rooney Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones. And did she win an Oscar for it, Catherine Zeta-Jones? I, I feel like she won an Oscar and I feel like Chicago won best film. If not won, in contention, but it was a big Oscar bait film. So you know we've got Richard Gere. Yep. Talks about him. Michael Jackson was considered for Richard Gere's role, but they decided he would be too... I know what the word I want is. Controversial? Not controversial, but like he would be like eye-catching and they wanted somebody who seemed a bit more normal. I think the problem with Michael Jackson at this point in time is his reputation is less credible Mm -hmm. than it was when he did The Wiz. You know, people have started to see him as a bit of a joke. He's called Wacko Jacko. You've got images in the press of him dangling his baby out the window. You know, his reputation isn't what it was. No, and for this movie, you don't want one person to stand out over everyone. This is an, it's ensemble. an ensemble cast. We also have Queen Latifah. Yep. You John C. Riley. Oh, I like John C. Riley. Yeah, Wreck It Ralph. I was more thinking Set Brothers, but yes. Oh, yeah. Have you ever seen Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story? No. He's in that and he can sing beautifully. It's like a parody of Walk the Line. I know he can sing. He's in Chicago. No, I know. <laughs> but it's a parody of Walk the Line. Sure. You'd love it? I don't know. Probably not. It's Walk the Line. Keep going. Um, Lucy Lou. I like Lucy Lou. Charlie's Angels. Completely random background character. Really? Yeah, it's really funny. Um, Christine Bransky. Tanya from Mamma Mia. Cool. Yeah. And you're Leonard's a mum. Yep, Lennon's mum is all you need <laughs> to say. And Tay Diggs. Oh, from Rent. For like the fourth time on this podcast, yeah. Christine Baranski, we've seen her a couple of times, but yeah, Tay Diggs from Rent. Cool. He is in this as well. That's a really good cast. It's a really good cast. So was Tay Diggs involved in it on Broadway? Yeah, he was in the Broadway revival, not the original one. Because I'm pretty certain Renee Zellweger, Catherine Zeta-Jones haven't done this on Broadway. This isn't one like Rent where you're getting people who originated the roles and bringing them into this. Is this just a Hollywood reimagining and recasting? Yeah. And we'll get to it when we're talking about the Broadway cast of it. But Chicago is one of those musicals where stunt casting is sort of rife from right from the beginning. Roxy's character is very easily stunt castable. Is Roxy Catherine Zeta-Jones? No, she's Renny Zellweger. She's the main character? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, she is the main character. I was going to say arguably, but she is the main character. I mean, we're supposed to see the world through her eyes. Yes. I know that much about it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that character gets stunt cast a lot. A lot, a lot. And the other character that gets stunt cast is Richard Gere's character. And he's the lawyer. Yes. But when he's stunt cast, he's always stunt cast by actors who are from a theatre background who are now in movies. So you would know them from the movies, but then you're like, oh, cool, they can sing, that's great. Like when I saw it, it was one of the guys from Jane the Virgin. And he was great. I really liked him. I also had, you know, in Hercules, the littlest muse. Yeah. She was one of the characters in cool. it. Actually, she was the character that Queen Latifah plays. And she was great. Have they ever been stunt cast at the same time? 
Yes. Hmm. That's it's always interesting to me. Like, especially when you're stunt casting your main character. I don't feel like Richard Gere's the main character in this. He's kind of side character. Yeah. That's fine. But to stunt cast your lead, that's very interesting. Especially when there's probably thousands of Broadway actresses that could do that role. Mm-hmm. Sadly, from a financial point of view, stunt casting keeps a lot of these shows open. Oh, and I completely understand that. You know, I think something like Waitress, which was struggling in London. Yeah. Obviously it's closed, not just because of COVID. Waitress but opened in London with stunt casting. Yeah. yeah. It's something that I think struggled to find its footing, despite being an absolutely phenomenal show. Mm-hmm. Stunt casting kept it alive as long as it as long as it was. Yeah, you know the fact that we got Sarah Bareilles, arguably for London, that is stunt casting. Yeah, well, it opened with the girl from Smash. Yeah, but it's 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 trying to promote it with a gimmick of some sort, mm-hmm. and now the gimmick is come see the person who wrote it making her London debut. Yeah, that is still, and that's basically my point: is stunt casting is not a bad thing. Mm. I think stunt casting is a great thing. Depends who you cast. But yeah, it depends on the cast. The whole Cameron Dallas controversy on Broadway. Yeah. Anyway, so Chicago, the musical, based on a play of the same name, which was written by a reporter called Maureen Dallas Watkins, who was assigned in 1924 to cover the trials of two female accused murderers for the Chicago Tribune, which is the newspaper she worked for. In sort of the early 1920s, the press and public were like obsessed with these female murderers from the point of view of what can have happened to these women to make them suddenly crack and kill these men, you know? Because, of course, it's never going to be the man's fault. No, obviously. There were more, like, quite a lot more high-profile cases, but she was working just on these two. Yes. They were usually involving women murdering either their husbands or their lovers crimes of passion yes a lot of them there was sort of a a mythology that arose around it that if you were attractive and feminine enough and by feminine they mean the sort of meek housewife aspect of femininity you could get away with it and they wouldn't commit you you wouldn't be arrested or anything because the public would view you as poor little woman who just cracked one day and it just sort of happened. Yeah. Yeah? Which is super interesting. Female reporters at that time would write about these women from the perspective of a woman saying, well, it's understandable, isn't it? Like, obviously, if your husband's cheating on you for long enough, you're going to have to murder him. Things like that. And they got called sob sisters. So it's set women reporters back quite badly yeah. at the time. So these two women, the two murderesses, were the people that the main characters in Chicago are based on. Okay. And then there is a cu- there's a couple of, of lawyers around the time who the lawyer in Chicago is based on, but notably William Scott Stewart and W. O'Brien were sort of composite characters that were put together to make Richard Gere's character. Yeah. They were basically like days apart doing exactly the same job of getting women off for these crimes if you paid them enough money. And they would. They always won. 
and got you away with murder. So, do you know who Bob Fosse is? He's a famous Chicago native. Yeah. He is an actor, director, choreographer. Mm-hmm. He worked on all that jazz and he worked on Chicago. Yes, as well as Cabaret, Kiss Me Kate, yes. Sweet Charity. I was going to bring him up in my Chicago facts, but I knew I'd steal your thunder. Mm-hmm. We love Bob Fosse. So, he approached the playwright and said, we would like to make this into a musical. Please, will you give us the rights? And she said no, <laughs> basically, in the 1960s. So she was quite old by this point, and she oh, was like, "Oh, please don't say they're just out like outliving her for the rights." She said no, because she didn't want them to glorify these women. She felt bad enough that her play was sort of glorifying them, because by putting them into a play, she's immortalizing them. Yes, and she didn't want them to be presented as being at all interesting or likable. Because they are murderers. Oh, this is going to be a fun film to watch, isn't it? She died in 1969 and her estate sold the rights to producer Richard Fryer and Bob Fosse. So they waited for a poor old woman to die so that they could go on with their vision. In fairness, her estate could have upheld her... Yeah. In fairness, they could have, but <laughs> I kind of feel like if Nana says no, everyone stops. Yeah. Like, that just feels really underhanded, just to be like, okay, well, we'll listen to what you've got to say, but you're going to cop it in like a year or two. We can wait. <laughs> well, it took her nearly ten years. Yeah. Just ten years of them writing solidly, thinking, okay, well, it's going to come. They probably could debut it the next year. They didn't start working on it until she died. Okay. But they wanted to make it really clear that they were making a comparison between these women and them being sort of likeable and enjoyable for a theatre audience, but also making it really clear that they are not good people. So they're trying to at least address her concerns of like her guilt with the play and why she doesn't want it. So they've t- kind of taken on that feedback of, I don't want to glorify these women. Yeah. And they've at least listened to that. Okay, fair. So we have Bob Fosse helping pen the book as well as directing and choreographing the entire musical. Fred Ebb worked with him to help write the book because he wanted to make it a vaudeville-style musical. So very classic of the early 1900s. Mm -hmm. He even went on to say that he'd based a lot of the characters as he was writing them not only on the play that they were taking the story from but also on real vaudeville actors i can see where gypsy rose would potentially be someone who could inspire a character and that kind of Mm -hmm. idea i've seen set pieces and like it looks phenomenal like the choreography from what i've seen is is just fantastic but also i kind of feel like the version that we're going to watch kind doesn't just try to make it outright a film, but also tries to have the blend of stage and film. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the cell block tango is quite stagey. Yes. You've got like six different figures all illuminated, lit from behind and kind of stacked on each other Mm -hmm. type thing. So it looks like it would on stage. Yeah. And that's what they've tried to do. But once we've watched it, 
we're going to talk about diegetic versus non-diegetic music and how are we perceiving these musical numbers in this musical compared to the way that we do in normal musicals. It had very mixed reviews when it opened. It made audiences kind of uncomfortable because they broke the fourth wall a lot. And for American audiences, they're not huge. Even now, I would say, on the breaking of the fourth wall. No, I think it's something European. Yeah. We love a panto. Well, I'm not just thinking because of pantomime, but I'm thinking in terms of like the European movement with Brecht. Like... You're the drama teacher. I am. But <laughs> Brecht, famous German practitioner. Mm-hmm. And a big thing of his, especially like Caucasian Chalk Circle, is about breaking the fourth wall and making you aware that you are watching a play. You're not supposed to suspend your disbelief. You're supposed to be an active viewer. Yeah. So like before the show, he might have the actors in the bar with you talking to you and they'd start the play. And I've seen a version of Caucasian Chalk Circle where they, before they even start the play, the actors all come out and they talk to you about what they think of the themes and how they've used that to create a character in the loosest of sense that is not for there's me. no backstage you can see like characters getting changed on stage you can see like them cre- creating sound effects like using water because you're not supposed to suspend your disbelief he was german who's very influenced by world war Two, and it's kind of a movement that's hit i'd say europe more so than america yeah so it's not just pantomime i think it is that does not sound like something i would enjoy <laughs> so much fun I you can, can see why I haven't seen musicals and I'm now watching them because yeah. I am more of a theatre person. Yes, and I know that. But yeah. that's why like, I think it is important that you watch these musicals because a lot of them are going to either be influenced by big theatre trends or they will have influenced some theatre trends. Yeah, exactly. Which is what we like. Open on Broadway in 1975. So it was up for the 1976 Tony Awards. Who's up against? Uh, it was up against... I have them open here. It was up against A Chorus Line, Pacific Overtures and Brown Bubbling Sugar. So I feel then it's done successfully because I've never heard of any of the other ones. So it was nominated for 10 Tony Awards. Yep. Do you want to guess how many it won? Eight. Zero. It won none. Oh. It didn't win a thing because it was up against a chorus line. And a chorus line is very famous for I have heard breaking chorus down line. the way that we view musicals. Yeah, I have heard of chorus line. Mm-hmm. Was it a revival of chorus line? It was the actual launch of chorus line. Yeah. I thought it was older. No. That's why I thought it wouldn't have um They basically done well. got completely screwed by being up against chorus line. Was Chorus Line the one that you said Alan Cummings was in? No, was that Cabaret? that's Cabaret. Chorus Line we're going to watch at some point. It's in, they sing a lot of the songs in Glee. Cool. I love Chorus Line. Actually, Jessie and Rachel sang one of the songs from it. You know when they're in her bedroom, they sing... Madonna's in Chorus Line? <laughs> no. They sing like, Hello 12, Hello 13. But they like sped the song up. It's really weird. weird. I love it. So yeah. It was nominated for lots of things. And it won zero. Literally nothing. It's really sad. But then, again, this is the 30th Tony Awards. So it's at the same time as when all the musical categories are in together. Yeah. 
So those are all up for best musical because those are the new ones. But then you're also up against My Fair Lady. You're also up against The Robber Bridegroom, which had Patti LuPone in it. Like, <laughs> Also, Meryl Streep was nominated for Best Featured Actress in a Play that year. The Tonys. Yeah. Tonys do theatre as well. It's not just musicals. I thought it was just musicals. No. No, you are wrong. Yeah, it literally won nothing. Even, like, Bob Fosse was up for nominations for direction and choreography, didn't win. Literally nothing. It didn't start winning Tony Awards until the 1997 revival, where it won Best Revival of a Musical, Best Leading Actor, Best Leading Actress... Best Direction, Best Choreography, and Best Lighting Design. Imagine winning Best Choreography and knowing that Bob Fosse, who made this musical, didn't win. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like hindsight is sometimes... Yeah, obviously. ...important. And anyone growing up who might have really liked Chicago has looked at that, but now is so desperate to make their own take on it and create their own name that actually... They have to work harder. So they probably do deserve it. I'm not to say that Bob Fosse's choreography was bad because it probably was fantastic. Yeah. However, if you watch Chicago in the 70s and were inspired by it and that's what made you want to get into that profession, Mm -hmm. you then have the opportunity to choreograph or direct Chicago. Yeah. You're going to do everything you can to make it fresh. Like there's a... 20-year difference as well there. Styles have changed. Mm-hmm. Audience interests have changed. You have to keep it fresh or else otherwise you're condemning Chicago forever. Yeah. If the 1997 revival doesn't go well, mm-hmm. perhaps there'll be no film, no more revivals because it seems a footnote. Yeah. So actually, you've got. I would say you've got to work harder on a revival. Yeah. So, Bob Fosse died in... 1987 at age 60 and up until his death he wanted to do a film version of Chicago he knew exactly how he wanted it to translate and even though he had died it was directed and choreographed the way that he wanted it to be cool so they kept a lot of the choreography from the original show specifically one scene that I'll tell you about after we've watched it. The choreography is exactly the same as it is on Broadway. Even to this day, that is a piece of choreography that has always been the same in Chicago, which is great. They wanted it to be more minimalist. Yes. Than the original Broadway version. And even though this is a film and they could have gone further into the sort of realism of things, of sets and things, they decided they didn't want to. Because they wanted to keep it the way that it was on stage. Also cool. I like that minimalism is actually sometimes the best thing you can do. Yeah. So, you said to me, didn't this win some awards? Yeah, I feel like I remember it. I remember the conversations. It won Best Picture. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. And Catherine Zeta-Jones won for Best Supporting. Good, got that one right. They won Best Art Direction. Best costume design, best editing. The costume and best sound. I've seen looks phenomenal, and the sound is. I love the costume yeah. in this. I wish it had won best set, but there isn't really a 
category for yeah. that. Rob Marshall directed this film. Again, Our favorite two Rob Marshalls in a row. <laughs> we love Rob Marshall. We are spoiled, aren't we? I know. Renée Zellweger, Rob Marshall, John C. Reilly, Queen Latifah were all nominated for awards for this, but they didn't win. Yeah. And also, Colleen Atwood did the costumes. Who, I, I'm assuming, Queen Latifah would have been up for Best Supporting Actress, mm-hmm. so lost to Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yes. That then means Renee Zellweger would have been up for Best Actress. Who did she lose out to? I'm trying to think what other films were big in 2004 or 2003. That kind of time for the Oscars. And for the life of me, I can't think of other films. Oh, it was Nicole Kidman. For Uh, Cold Mountain? Best Actress, The Hours, as Virginia Woolf. Oh, okay, I have heard of that one. Yeah. We've got another musical where the costumes are done by Colleen Atwood. I recognise the name. Into the Woods. Yeah. So she works with she, Rob, makes, she works with Rob Marshall then. Yes, but she makes Tim Burton look like Tim Burton essentially. Yes, because I did say that I thought Into the Woods had a Tim Burton vibe. Yeah. Listen back to episode two for us talking about Into the Woods by our favourite director Robert Marshall mm-hmm. for more. But she she's the one that's obsessed with. The black and white stripes. Yes. Which is a her thing and not a Tim Burton thing, but everyone thinks it's Tim Burton. Yeah. I think... I wrote an essay on her in university. But then I do think the black and white stripes, you've got Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. That's also her. So she did Beetlejuice, yeah. Yeah. But it's associated with a Tim Burton property. Yeah. You've also then got, I would say, the only other one I can really think black and white stripes with Tim Burton is... Tweedledee, Tweedledum in Alice. Yeah, that's also her. Yeah. I and Edward th- Scissorhands. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, basically all of his films. I don't see the black and white stripes so much in, in Edward Scissorhands. Like, I mean, it's been a while since I watched it. But she also does a lot of stuff with black and white stripes and muted colours yeah. against pastels, which is Edward Scissorhands. Which is Edward Scissorhands make a fantastic musical. Edward Scissorhands is a fantastic ballet. Yeah, but wouldn't it make a fantastic mm. musical? I like the ballet. I'd rather we watch the ballet. <laughs> Maybe that can be our next podcast. <laughs> it's a ballet podcast. I'm out. Anyway, so... I'm interested to see what you think of this. I remember 2005-ish. Yeah. When it's out on DVD. Getting halfway through the DVD and giving up. Okay. I don't remember enough of it up to that point. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see. So, when this came out, this movie, it was the highest grossing film to never reach number one or two in the weekly box office charts. Jeez. Yeah. And its record for that <laughs> was only very recently outdone. By Alvin and the Chipmunks, the squeakle. <laughs> Imagine that beating you. Also, it was the highest grossing live action movie musical that... And that was up until Mamma Mia came out. It was beat by Mamma Mia. Yeah. Well, Mamma Mia is something special. And yeah. go back to, I think that's episode 12 for more on Mamma Mia. Mm-hmm. But that's in the archives as well. Okay. Well, I've got the passports. Have you packed our carry-ons? Yes, indeed. Cool. So we've got an eight-hour 
got the arsenic. 40 and the gun minutes journey. And the knife. And <laughs> if I chew gum next to you really loudly, is that just I will it? shoot you. Would yes. I have it coming? Yes. Okay, so we're off it's to. It's not the chewing, it's the popping. Ugh. You don't like it when I make sounds. I don't like food noises, so I'm 100% with her on that one. 100%. We've got an 8 hour, 40 minute flight ahead of us. Yep. Probably. Is that how long it takes? Yeah. How do you know that? I've looked at holidays to Chicago many a time. Okay. We're off to Chicago. See you when we get back. Chicago and we're ready to talk about it. Yes, we are. Did you enjoy it? Chicago was a lot of fun. Yeah. But you're going to have to wait before I tell you if it's Chicago or Chicano. Boo. (laughs) (laughs) You Um, know how this works. I know. I just am impatient and you know it. Exactly. It's a really enjoyable film. Good. I'm glad. It does make me want to see the stage show but I feel like they're going to be two very different entities and I might ask you a few times whilst we talk about the film how does this compare to the stage show yeah I might ask you a few times as we're talking about it like how does it compare Mm because I'm sure you're going to tell me that doesn't happen in the stage show and there's obviously a lot of license taken for a screen adaptation yeah One thing I'm going to tell you before we even start is that the stage show, as it is now, has the most minimalistic set I've ever seen in a theatre show, even more than Hamilton. It has two ladders on either side of the stage that look like like jail bars on their side, essentially. They're made like iron, raw iron kind of looking ladders, and then... The rest of the stage is empty except for a huge box, but like seating box in the middle of the stage that is used as Mama Morton's office. It's the courtroom. It's everything. It functions as literally everything. Cool. When the reporters are interviewing her, they're all in the box. Like it's That's how it's used. Yeah. Um, there is nothing else on this stage. I like minimalism. It's very rare you get minimalism for a musical. Mm-hmm. I was really trepidatious going into actually see Chicago because I'd only ever seen the film. I knew nothing about the stage show. This must be like four or five years ago now. Yeah. And with the I saw it on Broadway and with the one on Broadway, there was no safety curtain. 
you could see everything on the stage as soon as you went in. And I, being the person I am, look for trapdoors and things when I'm looking at the stage. And there's literally nothing. And I was really anxious about watching it because I'm expecting Chicago the movie, Mm -hmm. seeing this really minimalistic set. And it was incredible. They used every inch of that thing. (laughs) Yeah. I think minimalism is something you expect from perhaps straight plays more mm-hmm. than you do musicals because musicals you kind of expect extravagance yeah whereas plays can be more experimental and minimalist yeah so that's quite interesting to hear about for chicago i think the only other show we've discussed where i could see minimalism working is the last five years mm-hmm. and that of, is very minimalist. yeah so that's interesting that chicago would also have that treatment mm-hmm. i forgot that all that jazz was in this one. Yeah. I've been joking to you, basically our entire relationship, where we talked about this podcast before we even started doing it, yeah. just singing that all that jazz would be in it. And you kept telling me, no, this is Chicago. And we finally get to Chicago, and I forgot. You Until forgot. literally, <laughs> we start the DVD, and I hear the overture, I'm like, oh, God damn it. That's, <laughs> that's all that jazz. Yeah. I like the speakeasy vibes we get. Yeah, Bordville. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where it is so much if it's vaudeville. It must be if it's the 20s. It is vaudeville. It's pre-prohibition, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So Catherine Zeta-Jones is a double act. And I very quickly went, oh, I remember her story. Yeah. That she's a double act with no sister because she had it coming for yeah. sleeping with her boyfriend. Husband. Husband. Okay. Yeah. Even she, worse. <laughs> she caught them doing Spread Eagle. Yeah. Yep. And I really like how when she performs all that jazz, it is programmed as a double act. You can see at the start, at least, where they're missing the second yeah, Kelly sister. Yeah, they've got the spotlight on where she should be. And yeah. the Master of Ceremonies, which is Tay Diggs' yes. character, he's unnamed. He's just billed as Master of Ceremonies. But he induces a lot of the songs. Yeah, but that's why. He's even looking at her like, where's... Yeah. Veronica, I think, is her twin's name. I think so, Veronica yeah. and Velma. And you've got the lighting technician very quickly gets it from two spots to one spot. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's really nice introduction to this character. Yeah. And it's something that I think every song does well. Mm-hmm. When they're introducing a new character, you know that character. Yeah. That's what songs and musicals should do. You should be able to get a sense of who this person is very very quickly mm-hmm. and you do which I like and it's really good now I don't know how this works in the stage show we obviously have the shot of Renee Zellweger looking up and hero worshipping and she then hits the final note yeah we don't have that we see that she rushes off with Fred and Fred's getting her drunk and they accidentally knock into the neighbour's door Mm -hmm. and the neighbour's like go upstairs to your husband so we know Renee Zellweger is having an affair yeah but then after all that jazz has concluded and the police have carted Velma off we get a mention that a month has passed because she was there nothing's happened since that night a month ago where they went to I guess the theatre for lack of a better term yeah hoping that Fred was going to use his connections to get Roxy a job. So we know that a month has been there. Mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting kind of 
introduction yeah. to Renee Zellweger's character, Fred's character, and blending it too. But it doesn't work that way in the stage show. No, it, this is all really extended for the film because I think this is another example of if we do it this way in the movie, it's not going to make sense to a movie audience yeah. where it would make sense to a theatre-going audience, which is it is so cut down and condensed, you literally just get... All that jazz is an introductory song to Velma. Yes. Then we cut to Roxy killing Fred and then she's arrested. Yeah. So it's kind of making it more explicit for the movie going audience, whereas the theatre going audience... We don't need it to be as obvious yeah. because we're going to get told yeah. everything we need to know anyway. Exactly. And even that's how if, musicals work. Even if they'd taken that out, that whole scene wasn't in the movie you'd still learn all of that stuff just much later on. But you'd still learn it in that moment. We were there a month ago when she got arrested. You promised me you'd get me in. Yeah. So the dialogue serves as exposition anyway. Mm -hmm. But I like it. I, I really do like having that shot of Renee Zellweger looking up like stars in her eyes. Yeah. She's being used and she wants superstardom and she believes that he is the key. Yeah. But he has no intention... He's lied to her because she is attractive. Basically. And he had it coming. Mm-hmm. Bang, bang. Yep. Fred's dead. They do a really good job in this, I think, of making it... Making all of the characters seem really justified. <laughs> but like you said, I also think they do a great job of making every character unlikable. Yeah, definitely. And I was nervous about that coming into Chicago... You'd said that they're unlikable and I thought, oh God, is this going to be another rent where arguably I don't like anyone? No, this is, you will absolutely enjoy these characters, yeah. but you're not going to like them or root for yeah. them because you're not supposed to. Yeah. and It's sort of a Bonnie and Clyde kind of thing. We know they were bad people, but like... I think the difference is in rent, you're supposed to like them. Yeah. Here, you're not supposed to. And you know what? I don't like the characters, but I like the characters. Yeah. Like the way they're written. I like the line. We get a, a reference. It's a new city record of from killing to confession in an hour. Because mm -hmm. she's an idiot. Yes. But they're lying. Yeah. And the way this is done in the stage show is Roxy sings Funny Honey. And then we go into the sequence. And then we're told exactly what happened. Whereas in this film version... We're shown what happened. And then go to Funny Honey. Yeah. So... In the stage musical, Amos confesses and says it was all him and it was all his idea. He came in and she was being burgled, so yes. he shot him. And while that's happening, Roxy's climbing up one of the ladders at the side of the stage, sort of looking down at him. That's how we get it in this version. He confesses first and then it goes into the song. Yeah, yeah. But she hasn't. we haven't watched her kill Fred yet. Oh, have we not? No. Oh, wow. Yeah, she sings Funny Honey. And while Amos confesses, and then you get this sequence where Amos is like, what do you mean it's Fred Casely? We know him. He sold us all our furniture. And then she has to climb back down the ladder because she was yeah. almost escaping. She was almost out. That's really clever. And then she has to oh, come back cool. down and explain herself. Yeah, so John C. Riley, who is Amos, mm -hmm. is confessing, in inverted commas, like yeah. confessing the crime. He claims to have shot a burglar to protect his wife. Yes. I assume she's told him that story. Yeah. That 
they, you know, I need you to do it because they'll, they'll hang me. Mm-hmm. But the police kind of, you get a sense that they can see through her. They're shining a light in her eyes and the police are looking at her kind of, hmm. She's in her underwear. Yeah. Like... She then sings Funny Honey, which is essentially like, for me at this point, she's gone to a safe place. Yeah, like she's withdrawn inside She's herself. withdrawn and she's processing what's happened. And I think that's a theme that kind of, this is how she deals with prison and deals with new developments. Is she uses this safe space to process the information as a vaudeville act. Yeah. Because the only two songs that happen in real life, which is interesting for a musical, are All That Jazz mm-hmm. and... Hot Honey Rag. Hot Honey Rag. And kind of... Her last song before Hot Honey Rag, where it's revealed to be an audition. Nowadays. Nowadays. Yeah. Partially. Partially. Those are the only two songs that are diegetic. Mm-hmm. Because they happen and they're in the real world. Everything else is non-diegetic in her head. Yes. And you've got a really good technique of like cross-cutting between her mind and actually real. Mm-hmm. Which I think is really, really fun with this musical. It's like a great gimmick. Mm-hmm. That it's all her view. But I really like the, the layout in this one. Is she's up singing and then Amos shows up in the spotlight singing, like talking to the song. Yeah. But then he figures out and everything just breaks down. Mm-hmm. The reality but wins. Even in her head, she's in a white spotlight. Yeah. And he's in a blue one. It's not even as bright as hers because she, she just doesn't care about him. No, she really doesn't. I'm that... sure she did when they got married because why otherwise why marry him? But I think she's grown to resent him because he has held her back. He doesn't do anything that suggests he is a bad male character. Like he doesn't come across to be no, like he's... your typical husband of the day. Women are property. Mm-hmm. He's a sweetheart. He is a sweetheart. And she she says later on that before she married him, she was a, a dancer in a chorus, uh, ensemble in something. I don't think she ever says what. She doesn't say vaudeville. But then she marries him and is expected to be sort of a home runner as opposed to an yeah. actress. And so she loses her dream. Yeah. And but that's not, his fault, and it's it's not his fault. And it's such a shame. Now... It's all well and good, her story. And obviously the truth comes up because he realises and he's like, ah, oh, that dame, she double-crossed me. Yeah. However, the plot was flawed because of the neighbour. And that's something that the film does. It's very clever. Like, I've got the dramatic irony that no matter what happens, they're going to interview everyone, presumably in this mm-hmm. building complex. Because, like... Who heard a gunshot? Did you see anything? apartment blocks. And obviously the neighbour has seen her having this affair, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, doesn't matter because whatever you said anyway was going to be a moot point. And sure enough, the neighbour's like, yeah, she did it. She's having an affair. Yeah, that's him. That's the guy. I don't think she's going to be a character in the stage show. I think she's just written in for the film. Yeah, no, she. I don't believe she's in the stage no, show. But like, it's it's just helping the narrative of this film version. I think mm-hmm. one of my favorite lines: "I'll kill him again." Once was enough. Yeah, I yeah, like I that. shot him, and I do it again. <laughs> Once was, was enough. enough, funny. Yeah, and that's it. Kind of the opening has happened. We're now into the substance and the story. Yeah. We've had this key moment and now obviously the trajectory of the plot is on its way and we go to jail. Mm-hmm. We get introduced to Mama. Yeah. 
And another fantastic introduction to this character. Mm-hmm. The contrast between performer and real is great. Both versions, she looks phenomenal, like fully made up and then in her working clothes. It's amazing, isn't it? I don't want to sound rude saying this, so feel free to correct me, but Queen Latifah is so beautiful without the makeup. She's gorgeous, whatever. That's what happening. I mean. And it's, it, but I think seeing that... In... Normally in films, when you get a contrast of a female character in glamour, yes. makeup, gorgeous outfit, hair done and everything, versus out of glamour in her work clothes, yes. it's done to, to show a difference in personality or a difference in like class or to make her look worse. Yeah. It's not done that way in no. this. She is exactly the same. Yeah. But I also think it's very rare that you do and I'm sure she's got makeup of some sort on. But, oh she obviously does. But, but like, like to see her sans makeup, like is amazing. Because mm-hmm. you don't get that so often in mm-hmm. Hollywood with women. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. Like every other prisoner has some kind of makeup on. Yeah. Except for Mama. And obviously she's not a prisoner, but I just thought it's really awesome. Yeah. Great introduction. Love the personality. Mm. And you get the sense of this corrupt kind of official, yeah. but not in a Shawshank Redemption way. Mm-hmm. She's not out to vilify these girls. Like she does care for them. But as long like, as they're making her money. As long as they're getting yeah. something out of it. This is, I think, similar to Miss Hannigan, possibly at the start of her career. Like, mm-hmm. great. But she's grown bored of it. Yeah. Mama loves it, mm-hmm. provided she's, she's got a new shiny toy to play with. Yeah. You said before Mama Morton comes in, Roxy's shown into this sort of holding area with other yeah. women. And she looks at a girl that's next to her who says, oh, have you ever had Morton before? And Roxy's like, no. And the woman says, oh, you know, she's okay. She's nice. Which is what sets off the song yes. in Roxy's head. But you said to me... Was she somebody? Because yeah. it's, it's it's a small enough thing, but it's kind of big Feels enough. Feels like a cameo. Yeah. Yeah. And sure enough, that is the original Roxy from Broadway. Which is good. That's what I want. Yeah. I keep saying it each week. I love it when we get just a small throwaway cameo. We had it mm. last week with Annie, where the original Annie shows up. We've got it this week with Chicago. Yeah. I want cameos in every film adaptation we have. Mm-hmm. You know, even when we got... Jason David Brown. Yeah. In the last five years, just on the piano. Small thing, but I love it. Yeah. Nobody else needs to know, but if you are in the know, if you know this property that well, you're going to look at that and think, cool, that's, that's all I needed. Ironic, because there is a song in the last five years called Nobody Needs to Know. I know. Did you know Rob Marshall was not originally asked by Miramax to do Chicago, he was asked to do Rent. Oh, really? Yes. And he went to his interview to talk about Rent and went in and said, I don't want to talk about Rent, I want to talk about Chicago. And I want it to be that all the musical numbers are happening inside of Roxy's head. So we've got the actual world and then the musical world that's inside her head. And Miramax were like, cool, please do it. That's so awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really... I think if this podcast has done one thing, yeah, it's really highlighted Rob Marshall as an incredibly <laughs> talented figure. Yeah, we kind of love him. Like, I didn't know how much he'd done. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how much he'd done, because yeah. I don't look at things like that. I'm not 
good at remembering directors or remembering to talk about sort of the production team behind these movies. No, you're really not, because I'm going to talk about something in a second. I know, I'm sorry. And unless it's somebody I've heard of over and over again, like Rob Marshall, and I should do more to to recognise these people's talents, because I focus on the storytelling and the, the musical numbers and the dancing and the costume design, and I forget to talk about the people who are making these amazing films. Yes, so... One of the screenwriters, mm-hmm. in fact, the screenwriter for this was Bill Condon. Now, Bill Condon... Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> Not just Twilight. He was the director and writer of Dream Girls in 2006. Cool. He directed Twilight Breaking Dawn, part one, part two. He directed Mr. Holmes, Mr. Holmes, however you want to say it, with Ian McKellen. Oh, I didn't like that film. He directed Beauty and the Beast, the remake. Didn't like that He was also the writer of The Greatest Showman. Well, he's not really gone up in my estimation. I would say my favourite thing he's done on that list is Twilight. Yes, and I really love Twilight. And he did not deserve getting nominated for a Golden Razzie or winning a Golden Razzie. (laughs) For the direction of Twilight. He got nominated for part one and one for part two. Of Breaking Dawn? Yeah. For directing? Yes. That kind of sucks. I feel like... They're probably so two of the stronger can... Twilight films. Yeah, and there's only so much you can do when you've got yeah. Stephanie Mayer, like, breathing down your neck. But I knew him primarily as Twilight and Beauty and the Beast. I did not know he was associated say, with Greatest Showman. For Beauty and the Beast. That movie is beautifully directed. Yes. It's just unfortunate casting, in my opinion. But I think, do you know what? It makes sense that you've got somebody here with a Broadway background. Yeah, you can feel that with that movie. Like the choreography of Gaston, especially. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot more sense when you see, like, this is where he's come from. So, you know, just kind of wanting to, you know, flag that. He's currently set to write and direct Marley, a musical adaptation of A Christmas Carol through the perspective of Jacob Marley. Jacob Marley's the dead guy, right? Yes. Okay. Which I'm kind of interested in. If we're going to get more Scrooge, show it to me from a different perspective. So, yeah, this has got a fantastic team behind it. Mm-hmm. And you can see why it did so well. Yeah. Roxy fangirls over Velma. Yeah. When she meets her. And Velma is all about the press and giving Mama money for her part in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We know enough about this world now. Yeah. And we go straight into Cell Block Tango. Yes. And what I will say about, before we get into any more of the numbers, but specifically with Cell Block Tango, there are no, there's no CGI used in this movie. Yeah. Except for in one scene, and it's to remove Christine Baranski's flying harness. Fair. Way later on. All of the the moments where we fade from like a jail cell into another room, or going like with Subbook Tango, where Roxy goes and sits down at her table, and then all of the cells move closer to her. That is all practical. Which is incredible. Yeah, because they wanted it to feel like stage musicals. I love the staging. I love the song. I love the way the men are elevated. Mm -hmm. I 
really like the flashbacks to show the crime, but I imagine they're not in the show. No. And there's another thing with this film version is you get some parts of the song where you've got the character that has just been singing about how they killed their husband slash lover then just talking about it. Yeah, revealed in jail, so it's just... And I don't like that. This I, is the I, one I thing j- I'll say I could live without because... Cell Block Tango is a long number. Mm. I understand why they've done it to sort of break it up a bit for cinema audiences, but when you're in the theatre, it doesn't matter. I actually really like that. Yeah. Because I like that it adds more to this idea that Roxy is processing all this information. Yeah, it's part of what Rob Marshall wanted as his sort of theme. Which, do you know what? Great. Yeah. Because he's thought about this theme and he's looked for every thread to make sure that theme is running throughout. It's not a gimmick. No. It's not something we say, I want to do this, and he's done it loosely. He's really, really thought it, thought through. it through. Yeah. And if we're going to have that thread, if we're going to try and make this a film adaptation, he's done that perfectly. Yeah. So I'm cool with it. I, I get your point. Mm. It takes you out of that moment, but then arguably shouldn't it take you out of the moment where you have mama from one and in another, or... But it's the same, like... Those things don't happen in the stages. Yeah, which is fine, but I like the way it's been brought here. Yes, I agree. You know, we've got the beauty later on, way later on, where Catalin dies. Yes. But you've got the mirrored shot that, you know, when she's in fantasy, she's standing kind of on the left, facing in towards Mm -hmm. the right, and then in white, and then flipped the other way, so she's on the right, facing in on the left. Yeah. That mirroring of reality versus fiction... It's great. And I really like the blending of it. It's something I, I made me enjoy Chicago a lot more. Mm-hmm. One of those Mormons, you know? One of those Mormons, you know? <laughs> those pesky Mormons. This set is gorgeous, this song. And just when everything kind of comes up with the red and all of the, the, the prisoners come out. Oh, yeah, that's something else I was going to say is I love the use of the red handkerchief. Yes, specifically with one of those Mormons, you know. Um, She leans down to kiss him, and when she pulls her head back, she's got the red handkerchief Mm -hmm. in her teeth. Amazing. I love it. The colours in this are fantastic, and the colours speak volumes about different phases. Hmm. I thought you'd like the symbolism within this. Yeah, really like the symbolism. I say this all the time when I'm teaching drama. Yeah. Nothing should be random. Like, if you're dressing the set for your piece, mm-hmm. I'm going to look at you having three red chairs and one black chair as a deliberate choice. Yeah. And if it's just laziness that you've done that, I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. And that's, that makes me sound like a drill instructor, but everything matters. You're not just looking at theatre as acting. You're looking at theatre as everything. Yeah. And if that's a deliberate choice, justify it to me. Yeah. Great. That's a problem I have with a lot of movies, but specifically like animated movies or semi-animated movies. Yeah. One of the biggest problems I had with Beauty and the Beast was there were a lot of things in it that I was like, why is this here? Because nothing in a movie is an accident. There are no accidental decisions. It is only deliberate choices. Yeah. Because somebody, at the end of the day, has gone back and edited that film. So everything that is left in there is left in there for a reason. And it annoys me. <laughs> yeah, which is completely understandable. We get 
a very quick kind of glimpse into the workings of the prison with everyone working. Yeah. Oh, do you want me to tell you what Christine was saying? Go for it. Okay, Catalan. Catalan, yes. So in Suboctango, her speech is translated from... It's supposed to be Hungarian. The actress is Russian, speaking Hungarian with such a thick Russian accent that even Hungarian people said they couldn't understand (laughs) what she was saying. But what she's supposed to be saying is, how did I get here? They say that my famous lover held down my husband while I cut off his head. But it's not true. I'm innocent. I don't know why Uncle Sam says I did it. I tried to explain it to the police, but they don't understand me. Basically, that the Americans don't believe her because she's foreign. And she's the one innocent character. She's the only innocent character. Yeah. Which makes her arc sadder. I say arc like she has depth. Yeah, she exists to fuel Roxy, I think. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. Roxy sees that Mama and Catherine Zeta-Jones are in cahoots Mm -hmm. to get Velma off. Essentially. And make her a star. Mama tells Roxy she needs Billy... Flynn. Billy Flynn. And she can do that for $100. But why is Mama helping? To make $100. Is that literally all it is? It's not like she actually... Because I thought it might be that. But I didn't wonder if maybe she felt there was more more to her. No, she so she has a running deal with a lot of the girls. We hear it the most with Velma. Yeah. She's going to be Velma's agent. Yes. Once Velma's out, so it benefits her to get B- Velma Billy Flynn because then it benefits her after she's free. And I guess she knows that Billy's charging 5000 yeah. plus. These girls probably can't afford it. So she gets the hundred and goes, well, if Billy didn't take your case, that's not done to me. So she can get more money. Yeah, basically. Fair. That makes sense. Because she then, she says to Roxy later, I'll take 10% of all your earnings. Yeah. That's quite a decent deal. Yeah. For her. All I care about is love. Another phenomenal introduction to a character. Isn't it so great? So I really like the changing colour of the costumes for the prisoners. Because mm-hmm. they were wearing black and now they're wearing red. Now the black was kind of more dark and murderess type vibe whereas the red is more seductive yeah i really like that nice Mm -hmm. simple thing but it becomes more fun and i like that this is how roxy views billy before she's ever met him yeah it's the same thing we have mama morton she's this glamorous figure she's gonna help me yeah and then we get this the kind of same thing with Billy, but like, oh, he's oh, yeah. so humble. He just wants to help all us poor girls. And I, I start to think he cares more about something else than love. What could it be? Mm, I wonder. Be? <laughs> Perhaps green would have been a more appropriate colour for these girls to be wearing. Yeah. It's I love just this a song. brilliant introduction. This song's so funny. Yeah. And there's a great... I did not know Richard Gere could sing like this. Did you not? No. I... He had a lot of training before he did this film. You I told you, me, yeah. he did... Six months worth of tap dance lessons for one scene. But he was took singing lessons and just to catch up. But don't on... you just love that, that they've cast him and he's taken it seriously? Yeah, I think that's so important. You could get so many actors who got cast in something like this and they then have to make different choices on how they stage sentiments or cut them. Yeah. You know, this could have been a Oklahoma where... 
when it comes to the tap dance sequence, you have another act to do it, which wouldn't have been an issue. But the fact it's Richard Gere throughout is so impressive to me. Well, so when auditioning for this film, Renée Zellweger did not know what she was getting in for. She did not know how much dance was involved in this. She wasn't told in advance like how much she was going to have to do with her own stuff, specifically the singing. Because really? she sings. She it is Renee Zellweger singing in this film and she did not know she was going to have to do that in advance. See, she does a phenomenal job as well. Yeah. But it's not like she is an actress who desperately needs work. No. It's not like she desperately needs to take any job. She's hot off the heels of Bridget Jones 1, possibly 2. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Probably just 1, because we actually got the date wrong. This was 2002, not 2004. Yeah. And I think Bridget Jones 1 was 2001, 2000. So mm. she's probably hot off the heels of that going on to this. So the fact she's lost that weight anyway is phenomenal. She's not an actress at this point who needs to take any job just to pay the bills. But I think she's quite good casting. She's this. great casting, but why would she not have done her research? Why would she not have read the script or... I don't think it's her fault. I would say this is her agent's fault. Yeah, but she should also have taken the there responsibility were for... There a lot of issues with her agent. On well, there really? Film. I yeah. didn't know that. Well, so there were a lot of arguments between her agent and Catherine Zeta-Jones' agent about who was going to get top billing. And they did a bunch of different posters essentially so that they would both get top billing on different posters which is a ridiculous waste of time because it doesn't matter yeah also i think the audience can make their own mind up and watching this it's kind of obvious at times Catherine zeta jones's character is an afterthought yeah roxy's the main character yeah like velma's important but she is a side character she's not the main character Hmm. she's almost the closest thing we have to an antagonist, but isn't. We also, Renée Zellweger wasn't originally given the main role. She auditioned initially with everybody else that auditioned, and she lost to Charlize Theron. Oh, wow. Yeah, but that was when Nicholas Hunter was going to be the director. Yes. He then dropped out, and Rob Marshall took over, and he made everyone re-audition. And he took Renee Zellweger, but he knew her agent. And it was, at the time, discussed as, like, a coup kind of thing. I mean, credit, if you come onto a project at that early stage, I would be tempted to redirect. Those, oh, yeah, I agree with re-auditioning everyone because you're going with your own ideas for this yes. show and you know what you want as opposed to the director that's just left knowing what they want. So, and I think Renee Zellweger is very good cast. Yeah, no, she was great casting in it. Anyway. Oh, also the role of Billy Flynn was offered to John Travolta four times before they eventually gave up and gave it to Richard Gere. Very glad. I like John Travolta. Yeah. But this is the time he's kind of doing the Punisher and action films and he's not... He has said he deeply regrets not taking this role. Oh, and I think... That regret is why we got him in Hairspray. I love him in Hairspray. No, and I'd say that's a much better trade-off, that Mm. he regrets passing this by, so he does Hairspray. Like, give me that any day of the week. Because Punisher was released summer of 2002-ish, give Mm. or take, so he would have been... He'd have chosen to do that film instead. 
which I find very interesting. Yeah. So Billy yeah. says no to helping Roxy, but then... Because she doesn't have money. Amos convinces him. Mm-hmm. And he comes up very quickly with a persona to give her public support and, more importantly, raise the money he needs. Because yes. they're going to sell off her things, make it that she's a celebrity and, like, sell anything she might have ever touched, auction off to help for her defence. Yeah, basically. And the seeds of jealousy are sowed as Billy instantly gives more attention to Roxy. And that's so important. Like, it's kind of a throwaway thing. But he just... He'll take the money and run somewhere else. Yeah. Whoever's his top bill... Yeah. He'll go with. Very, very interesting. Very, very important. We both reached for the gun. Oh, amazing. Yeah. This is another instance of the musical theatre group that rehearse Fridays in mm-hmm. my classroom me knowing this and they had like similar choreography the choreography oh I love this so 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 this so so much so similar to the stage show because they all sit in the box that I described with Mary Sunshine is at the front and you get the sense that Mary Sunshine and Billy Flynn are sort of in cahoots a little mm. bit because she doesn't have to shout to get attention, to get questions asked of her. She just puts her finger up and he'll always go to her first. There's definitely something between those two characters. And whether or not he's slipping her a little something-something to get the narrative under control for his clients yeah. or not, I don't know. But See, here's the thing with this character. And I said to you when we were watching it, I have something really interesting to tell you about yes. this character. Mary Sunshine in the stage version, you watch it and it gets to the court scene at the end and it is revealed that Mary Sunshine is played by a drag queen who can pass convincingly as a woman and can sing falsetto. And there's a line in the courtroom where Billy Flynn says things are not always what they seem and they rip her dress and her wig off and it's revealed to be a man. I don't know why, but, like, it's amazing. It's one of my favourite bits of the show is because you get to that part and you're like, oh, my God, because Mary Sunshine has been singing soprano for the entire musical. I don't know why it's in there. It's just a weird Bob Fosse kind of joke, but... I don't like it. I love it. It's one of my favourite things because she's a drag queen. She's not trans, she's drag queen. No, I know, but I don't get it. I don't get what's funny about that. I don't get why you do that. I prefer this version. I love it. (laughs) I like... It was because I didn't know about it, because I've only seen the the film, and then I went to the theatre, and I was with my brother as well, to see it. When they did that, we lost our minds, because this guy had been on stage for over an hour and a half, singing the most incredible falsetto soprano... And I just, uh, the entire time, like, believed their role, believed that in Mary Sunshine and the entire thing. And then having it be like, you cannot believe anything you've seen on this stage tonight is such an interesting... I guess that comes, though, more from your appreciation and knowledge of musical technical skills. Yeah. You say falsetto soprano like I'm supposed to understand what that means. Yeah. I wouldn't get that. So well, perhaps so, the joke's wasted on me because... Yeah. So generally men can't sing that hard. No, I, I get that much, but I... Well, you know in you know in Glee, Kurt sings really high. Yes. That is 
falsetto. Yeah. He is projecting a part of his voice that is not a normal, natural part of a male, traditionally male singing voice. The ability to do that, you have to like tap into a different part of your voice box. And it's just so, like you say, a technical skill. It's amazing. I'm glad that wasn't the version that happened here. Yeah. I, Christine Bransky's great casting for it, this character. Yeah, she's fantastic casting. And I'd have, I, I think the tone of this film, it doesn't suit a joke like that. No. If and, they remade it now, I think they'd hire a drag queen to play that character. Like a famous drag yeah. queen. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't. I think it would have ruined this film for me. Like mm. it would have just, that would have been it. I'd have turned off. But also in 2002, I wouldn't. They wouldn't have I had wouldn't say the that you have like. Ability to do it well. No. And they also, I think in 2002, there weren't such famous, commercially known drag queens as there are now. I'm sure there were in many circles, but, you know, we have such access to drag now that we didn't have back then. I mean, we need to look at the episode of Glee that we watched the other day, the Rocky Horror Glee, and just see that that's, what, 2009? Yeah. And what Mike Chang says about the issue with doing Frankenfurter in 2009... Like, the terminology and the appreciation is way off for where it should be. For 2009, Exactly. Yeah. So imagine what it would have been like in 2002. But then the same thing happens now. We, there's still things where people yeah, misuse and terminology. No, and... And, but that's a very deliberate one, I think. Like, there's no excuse for that. I think in 2009, people knew enough to know that that was wrong. Yeah. Well, I think by now we know that Glee is problematic. Yes. <laughs> and this won't be the last time we talk about Glee today. Yeah. I... Really, really loved We Both Reached for the Gun. I think the control, the physicality, everything about it is just so much fun. Mm-hmm. And it, every song is themed with a different kind of vaudeville. Yeah. It's perfect. And the vaudeville of like the ventriloquist's dummy is great. And Richard Gere does a great job with like the voice. Yeah. And his mannerisms and the control of Renee Zellweg. And she does a brilliant job with like the control and like the, mm. you know, ching like of her face obviously you know where she goes like she's not smiling smiles and lights up like oh like ding yeah teeth smile i didn't know what you meant then it i get you probably translates better in film than it would have done on stage with these two i don't know like no it's it's, like i say almost exactly the same i really liked it yeah it's amazing but what i mean is you get the close-ups of her face in the film which you wouldn't get on stage in the stage show, there's a brief moment where she manages to get off stage and they like redden her cheeks yeah. for it. So she looks like a ventriloquist. Yeah, dummy. but my point being here, this is a very controlled set and they can redo it several times. Yeah. And that would be where the interval was. Yes. I love the fact that I can predict it even with films. Because it kind of feels like at this point everything's gone up and it's all only going to go down. Or have like peaks. Yeah. I am sure this is just a thing for the film. Mm-hmm. But I love the recap, like the star with the old timey voice and the newspaper and the show reels. I just love that kind of vibe with these products, like with Cora, when you have this world set in this era mm-hmm. and you have that old timey voice that recaps things, eh? Yeah. It's so much fun. And we're now introduced to kind of the new normal with the prison. Roxy's now Mama's favourite. Roxy has everything, the preferential treatment that. Yeah. Velma has. Mm-hmm. And we get Roxy. And, you know, I do think she's very unlikable here. The way she talks about Amos. 
like he's a zero and she's so mean to him he's never done anything he's not even there yeah but it's not like he has been this horrible figure to her like he's gone to the point of trying even though he knows that she has cheated on him and she has killed this guy he is still he's spending his money to get yeah, her out of here he's doing everything he can to support her and he's a he is a nice person he's not like the other men we've been introduced to in this world mm-hmm. he's he, there's the other kind of bit later on where Billy tries to say to him, it's like, oh, you could have had sex with her, but you didn't, so you didn't want to. You could have asserted your marital dominance. And he's like, he didn't even think of that because he actually is a nice person. He's not yeah. one of those kind of stereotypical... Rapist is the word you're looking for. You know, yeah. <laughs> and he's so good to Roxy. So I don't like it when she's mean to him. See, with with his character, I feel like like all these characters have their flaws, obviously. The majority of them are murderers. I, his flaw is his naivety. See, I, was, I wasn't going to say naivety. I was going to say he is sort of insufferably cowardly. So, yeah. And... There's a lot of media where being a coward, being timid, is presented as, like, the worst flaw. And I get it. But in this film, <laughs> that he is the nicest character. Yeah, he's the only likeable character you feel sorry for. He's even willing to say he killed a guy and risk punishment. To save his wife. Yeah, yeah. and she treats him like that. Which is perfect for her character. And oh, yeah. I get it, and it does make her unlikable. The mirrors are great with this sequence. And she comes across so sexy. It's very Marilyn Monroe vibe, mm-hmm. the way she is here. Yeah, I, I liked this sequence. Yeah. It adds good depth to her character and you see her become more of a superstar in her mind. It's kind of like, especially with the way she's on the Roxy, like the, the word. It's like the end of Gypsy. Yeah. It's Rose's turn. Mm-hmm. They're, those two things are compared a lot because, again, in the stage musical, they have the big glittery Roxy that comes yeah. down. What came first? Gypsy. So Velma's now trying to be nice, whereas Velma in the past has been dismissive because she's getting out of here. Yep. She now realises, okay, I'm probably going to need to pander to this girl a little bit. Yeah. She wants to be a double act. Yeah, because she's the just fan. suddenly realised that killing... Her sister has meant that she's now a solo act and it's harder to get booked as a solo act. Oh, is that act. it? Yeah. Oh, I, did, I honestly didn't get I thought it was just her trying to pander. Well, to, it is as well. I honestly just thought it was that. My one complaint with this film, Velma is forgotten about so much mm-hmm. and for somebody who should be a bigger character, she isn't. Yeah. And there's no depth to her. Yeah. And it's quite frustrating. I, I feel like... The narrative of this works so well. There's not time to add more in. No. But I would like far more of, of the world from Velma's view than we, what we get. Mm-hmm. It just kind of feels like she's an afterthought there to add some kind of antagonistic side. Yeah, especially because there is a line at the end of this movie where Billy Flynn says... So Roxy says something about you got $5,000 out of this and he's like actually it's 10 after I collect from Velma because Velma agreeing to come into court and lie gets her off as well she's now cleared 
Because she doesn't have to go to court. She's made a deal that she'll yeah. do this so that she her name's cleared so she can get out of prison. He did that. Billy sorted that. We never see any of it. No, which works for the twist of like the show and the film. Like works for the stage show. Could do with it I, maybe yeah. a little bit more. I feel like we need far more of him getting the two against each other. Mm-hmm. Like to build more of this professional rivalry between the two. They're not they don't hate each other, but like there's a professional dislike. Yeah. And obviously the rivalry is like professional in terms of the you know, the scene quiz, but also just we want to get out of prison. Yeah. And I just I like could have done song, with more though. of that. This song's great. Mm-hmm. I, I like the introduction where it's Velma Kelly in an act of desperation. Yeah. I love all those little intros, they're really yeah. funny. Catherine Zeta Jones was asked for this film to have her hair as it was at the time, which was long, like down her back. Yeah. And she refused and she wore the wig that she wears in this film, which is the very short, blunt bob, because she said she wanted people to know that it was her doing all her own dancing. And she thought if her long hair got in the way, people would say, oh, well, you couldn't see your face in that scene. So it's obviously not well, you. Well, this is one of the star making things for her. However. Yeah. <laughs> she was pregnant while they were filming yeah. this. And they had to do a lot of shooting her either from hip down or waist up to sort of get that in between. And they did have a body double from for her. Yeah. Not a dance double, but some of the bits where she's being shown from behind, where she might turn. And then you see her from the front, from the waist up. Just little things like that where they needed to hide her bump when she started showing. Yeah, which is fair. Yeah. Perfect excuse. <laughs> yeah. And But then a lot of the dance scenes, like the dance at the end... They get away with it because the dress has all the tassels. Yeah. So it just hides everything. Mm-hmm. I really like how Roxy has gone from like enamoured with Velma to just kind of meh. Yeah, like go away, you're a yeah. nuisance. This song and the performance feels like a Glee episode. Yeah, it feels like something Rachel would do to try and get like Kurt to help her with something. Yeah, or it feels like kind of Rachel pandering to Santana. Yeah. Like. Yeah. It's just kind of... It, this definitely feels like something that's inspired Glee. Mm-hmm. Which apparently this this whole show has inspired Glee. More on that later. Um, I'm trying to think how many songs from this are in Glee. I think it's four. Yeah. It's quite a lot. Yeah. Velma has really good resting bitch face. Yeah, she does. I think but, that's just gathering easy to But it goes whenever she starts performing. It's like... Her character is happiest when she's performing. Yeah, she's one of those people that seems to just light up from the inside. I would argue that this is maybe the only other diegetic song. Because it's almost like she's pandering to Roxy and being like, this is what I do and this is what you could do. I would agree if it wasn't for the lighting and costume change. Oh no, and I agree. Like, I think she probably is talking through what they do because then when we cut back to her at the end of the song she sat on the table the yeah. way she was before. But I almost imagine because there's a nice moment at the end where she does I forget the very last song the Nowadays mm-hmm. in her head she's dressed beautifully and then we cut to it it's a similar it's the same colour dress but plainer. Yeah. There's a part of me that wouldn't be surprised if she is doing all of this dancing mm-hmm. but just... Roxy's brain has made it on stage. Mm-hmm. Like she's doing exactly that, but in her prison gear. 
Yeah. So it's kind of loosely, I'd say she might actually be singing it, but then the production values are all in Roxy's brain. Yes, exactly. And I said to you, watch Roxy get dropped for Kitty. Yep. Because... I mean, who wouldn't drop Renny Zellweger for Lucy Lou, though? Well, but also, <laughs> you've got, like, your client on this level, but you've got a whole other level here with yeah. Kitty. And obviously, if you're Billy Flynn, who is chasing fame, fortune, of course you're going to go for this big one. Because if you can get this heiress off... Especially because it's her mum's money. You can charge more money, for starters. Mm-hmm. But also, if you do it, wow. Because that's face. Everyone's probably looking going, she killed three people and she's not sorry for it. And he's like, if I can get her off, I'll live forever. Like, I'll be infamous. Yeah, basically. So, Charlie's Angels... That training on how to aim a gun really helped. Yeah, obviously. But also, like, the way she kicks all the press. Yeah. Roxy is thinking, oh, no. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And I thought the plot was going to go a completely different way. Yeah. And this is another thing. Roxy only hears this over the radio. So all of the action that's happening here... Cool. ...again is inside of Roxy's head. Yeah, yeah. That's really awesome. Yeah, because this is a weird mini song in the middle that isn't credited as being a song... Because it's just heard over the radio. But it is Roxy hearing about... She's actually billed as what the hell, Kitty. Cool. Yeah. I thought the plot was going to go a completely different way. That now she needs Velma. Yeah, no. No, because how clever was she? She fakes a pregnancy. Yeah. Drew. This is so smart. And like, obviously evil, but so smart. Have you just conned me and did we just rewatch Gone Girl for the second time this week? <laughs> Basically. Like, do you not feel like some of the beats of this are, yeah. are very similar? Like, she's just as calculating as... But your reaction to that, when she she faints so that all the press will turn around and look at her, and the first person to check on her is Miss Sunshine, which is really weird. Yeah. Because she wasn't giving her the time of day a minute ago. And she's like, oh, I just hope, hope that fainting won't have hurt the baby. And you went, oh, no. <laughs> it was great. And Billy Flynn rushes straight over because he's thinking, what? What are you doing? And we cut to the doctors. Yes. I don't like this bit, I have to say. But you've However, got... I'll let you say this because I'm sure... So, I'm... Billy is talking to the doctor. Will she swear to it in court? Yes. Is she pregnant? Yes. And as he goes, do you fly up? Yeah. Yep. However, Billy knows that she is willing to do things like that because right back at the beginning, when she meets him for the first time, she suggests to him and he says, good, I'm glad you got that out of your system. This doesn't come from the doctor kind of coercing Roxy to be like, I will help you. Yeah, so that's how I deal with it. But it's kind of like a joke I could do without... I don't know, it's a yeah. weird You joke. get the sense that she's empowered enough to be doing this. Yeah, like this comes from her wanting to do it as opposed to... And I think to... it, you know, we are supposed to be uncomfortable with it because, again, she's not a good person. That's what I mean, it works for her. Poor Amos. Yeah. I heard over the news! We're going to have a baby! In the back of this crowd of people that... And she's she... just off. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, in fairness, she's put back in the prison van and yeah. driven off to prison, but, like... Cellophane and Mr. Cellophane. Yeah. So, this is Kurt's audition song for Glee. It fits both their characters because at that, 
at that point for Kurt, he's a nobody and everyone sees right through him. And, like, it's a really good song for... It fits Kurt's character. It does not fit his singing voice. No, but it really fits for Amos's character here. Mm -hmm. However... In the stage show. His song doesn't need to happen in the context of the film here. It doesn't work with the same thread that Rod Marshall's going with. Yeah. Granted, he's given him a different style. It's very clowny. Mm -hmm. It's very Charlie Chaplin. I wonder if Roxy has spoken at this moment, if, if she's speaking to Billy and Billy's like, well, how are we going to deal with this? And she's like, nobody will care. He's a nobody. And this is her perception of him as he then goes to it. I've had to make my own canon because Roxy has no interaction. She doesn't even see him. I could completely understand if she saw him, looked right through him in the crowd. She doesn't see him. So Roxy's kind of got no reason to... Pr- create this song in her head yeah so this is one where again the use of the ladders yeah because i love them roxy is leaving she said that she's pregnant and that is all happening we don't get the doctor joke because there isn't a doctor yeah billy says some line about like we'll get a doctor to swear on it in court and you'll be fine and roxy's like good oh that's fine Good, she, <laughs> she starts climbing up the ladder because obviously cellophane's about to happen. But as she climbs up the ladder, she's about halfway up and Amos starts calling her name. Yeah. And then he says something to Billy Flynn. Billy Flynn's like, oh yeah, sure thing, Andy, and just walks past him. I love the constant getting of his name wrong. Yeah, there was a, a radio show that got turned into a TV show called The Andy and Amos Show. Cool. Which is, that's what the joke is. But he just walks past him doesn't even stop to talk to him or anything. And Amos is shouting Roxy's name up to her. And she sort of looks around like, huh? And then he starts singing. And while he's singing towards the end of his song, she actually looks down and acknowledges him. And it's such a weird, nice moment of her, like, actually accepting that he exists. And then it's just, you know, we move on. Well, this is it. Within the film, this is Roxy's view of him. If we follow that thread that he's got, she views him as such a nobody. Yeah. Like, it's so sad. And... Well, she it... then leaves as well. Yeah. She she acknowledges him for a second before the song ends, and then she goes. And then he finishes the song on his own on stage. Yeah. Billy's basically like, you can't be the daddy because... We can count. We can count. I love John C. Riley so much. Like, he's such a phenomenal actor. He's very emotive. I think... I've been guilty of it as well in the past that I know him through a lot of the Will Ferrell comedies of the time. Mm. Like, one of the first things I saw him in was Talladega Nights. And I have to admit, I've been just as guilty of seeing him as, like, a sidekick to Will Ferrell. Yeah. You know, the fact you've got him in Talladega Nights, you've got him in... Holmes. Holmes and Watson. That film was awful. Yeah, like absolutely, deservedly, critically panned. And Step Brothers, not critically panned, like fantastic film. But he's become quite guilty of this. But then you see things like this. You see things like, we need to talk about Kevin. He's such a phenomenal actor. I don't think he's given enough to do, usually. Like... When he's playing these sidekick characters, I wonder, I wonder if Will Ferrell has something over him. Like, <laughs> Well, they they kind of said that based on Holmes and Watson, 
their professional like relationship is going to stop because it's not Good, working anymore. Because it's terrible. Anyway. Yeah, I just I love him so much, and so, I want to see his character back in the MCU because he was great in Guardians of the Galaxy, and I want to see more of him. Yeah. He's probably dead. Oh yeah. But you know. So, this song could happen at any point yeah. in this musical. The reason it happens here is because we need a popcorn song, front of curtain popcorn song, so that we have time to set up for the circus that is Razzle Dazzle. Okay. Obviously, it doesn't work that way in the film, but in we, the stage show, yeah. the box turns round while he sings cellophane so he has this sort of blank wall behind him when it turns back it's the circus courtroom and it's amazing so the film has a few more things before that point though yeah in between so you've got roxy's bored of billy's like constant rolls and breathing down her neck so she fires him and then we have oh the hanging catalin getting hung also one of the most amazing moments of the stage oh, show. Oh, yeah, 100%. And this was I, done beautifully as well. Mm-hmm. I love a physical magic trick. Yeah. Not big on cards or any of that stuff. But if you can make somebody disappear in front of my eyes while they're jumping off something that's like 30 feet in the yeah. air, I'm on board. Yeah. And that's what they do in the stage show. And it's so well done. And I, the way Rob Marshall has shot this, I mentioned it earlier, but with kind of the mirroring and like the black versus the white. Just really good. Yeah. And then... That all happens, though. That happens after cellophane in the stage music. So it's the old happening... The thing is still facing the back, and then the box turns for Razzle Dazzle. So one of the things I really liked here was... Roxy has fired Billy, and in a gap of time, an undisclosed gap of time, has rehired him. We didn't need to see that conversation. It's just we accept it's happened. Good, Mm. great. I don't need to know that you've gone to him and asked just cut... Move the action forward perfect razzle dazzle yes she's scared scared he's like don't be i do this every day i know it's (laughs) like what's he say it is what does he compare three ring circus whoa that's not a three ring circus doesn't matter this is basically the opening to the greatest showman except better yeah so i i sang this song with my drama group when I was six or seven on stage and I thought that the guy who ran our drama group had written it because I'd never heard it. I definitely heard it before. I just can't place it. Probably me. I sing this a lot. Yeah. Okay. I love Billy's costume. Yeah. So this is one of my stage musical moments again, but he, in the stage show, when he comes on for this scene, he is wearing a sequined jacket, but they light him so that you can't see it sequined until Razzle Dazzle starts. And then he spins and they put the sort of white lights onto him and his jacket's all reflective. It's amazing. There's a lot yeah. of magic tricks incorporated into this show. I love the comparison of the justice system to a circus yep. in America. Mm-hmm. And just this whole sequence is amazing. You know, the bits where you're cutting from reality into Roxy's mind. Mm. And... Like, he gets things, and he's talking to people, and he's talking as Billy, but then he talks as imaginary Billy. Yeah. And, like, how he slowly gets Amos from normal to Amos being seduced by, like, a girl to get him on side. And confused. Oh, and... it's just so good. This whole One sequence One of my favourite things with that as well 
he immediately makes Amos look like an idiot and discredits mm. him because he calls him Amos. And he's like, yeah, Amos, that's me. I'm Amos, that's right. Oh, and that's what I mean. It's like such a clever thing and like a really awesome bit of narrative that flows throughout. The one time he gets his name right, he's not stupid. He's done everything deliberately. Yeah. Billy, oh my days, he is such a clever lawyer. Yeah. He's one of the best movie lawyers I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's doing and he plays everyone beautifully. Yeah. Have you ever watched... There's a guy on YouTube that's like real lawyer watches like law bits in TV shows and movies and things. Like he watches the law scene in Legally Blonde yeah. and talks about it. I'd love to know if he's done this. <laughs> yeah. Because this would be a cool one. It's very cool. It's just brilliant. I, I love this whole whole sequence. Same. And we finally get to the point where Roxy's on the stand and I, I'm worried it starts to fall apart because, you know, the other lawyer stands up. He's like, he's trying to coerce. He's, he's trying to oh, guide her through the narrative and it, it's momentary, but they get through it together and they recover. And then she faints. And then she faints. Now, there's a really lovely moment here where we cut to Velma inside Mama's office and Velma's like, she stole all my ideas. Her mum has got Roxy hair. Now, the radio commentary is awesome. Mm-hmm. Is the radio commentary what happens on stage? Like, in the stage show, we don't see all this. We, do we get, like, radio commentary as... So the one that I saw, I don't know whether they do sometimes do that. Yeah. Obviously, when I'm talking about the stage show, I'm talking about the, the version that I have personally seen. Because that's all I can work off of. But the one I saw, Mama Morton and... Velma are at the back two corners of the box mm-hmm. and there is a radio on stage but it's on the judge's desk kind yeah. of thing and I'm sure there's a name for that desk the judge's stand bit they're at the back and Velma like stands up and is like she stole my idea that's mine that was my idea and Mama Morton's like sit down <laughs> see I really love hearing what's happening oh and she's fainted again I love the play-by-play and I think it's funnier than if we were to see it again and I just mm-hmm. really liked this moment. But then, Mama. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I was going to go for Bohemian Rhapsody. Mama. <laughs> she busts out Roxy's diary. Yeah. And Velma shows up to testify against Roxy. <laughs> and we get one of the most beautiful sequences in this film. Yeah. The tap dance sequence as he interrogates and everything mm-hmm. coming together. Oh, what a sequence. Imagine, though, right, you're told that you're going to do this film and there is a tap dance sequence and you have done tap dance, but not since you were a teenager. Yes. So you're like, I'll take some lessons. And in the six months leading up to filming, you'd go and take lessons every week so that you're up to date. And you can tap dance. And then you work with your choreographer and you learn the tap dance. And then it takes you about four hours to film it and that's it and it's over. It's not over. That lives forever. (laughs) I know. And he does a really great job. And you hear about actors, like, taking lessons to go and do things. It looks so crisp and so precise. Mm -hmm. Like, it would have to take that long anyway. Yeah. Oh, it impressed me so much. I love that scene. Yeah. It's just really brilliant, especially where it all comes together. Like, I just love the comparison of tap, this really meticulous, precise art form, being the comparison for the way he is... Controlling everything. Lawyering mm-hmm. everything. And just 
the way he makes everyone doubt yeah, he's the prosecution being like, how would you get this? You had this. And the prosecution's being completely honest, but he's like, he's just saying Making, it enough. Mm. Oh, it's so clever. Yeah, he completely discredits. He does it with a couple of people. He he's, discredits Amos. Yeah. He discredits the next door neighbour. Yeah. Because he does a thing where he puts up two fingers and then switches to three really quickly. I, I assume he's discrediting her eyesight. Yes. And saying, well, if your eyesight's that, that bad that you can't see how many fingers I'm holding up from here, how could you know that that was yeah. a man that she was having an affair with? How do you know that it wasn't a burglar? And discredits yeah. her. And then he does it again with the defence. Defence? The persecution. Prosecution. Yeah. I don't know which... Um, he's the defence because he's trying to... Get her off. Get her yeah, off. okay. So then, yeah, the prosecution. He's... The way he's so frantic with it, it all comes together. Mm-hmm. Like, it's great. It's very doctor-esque like the way the doctor makes connections and just things flow the thing is the difference is the doctor does it on the spot and is legitimately has, in the moment yeah billy has planned yeah all of this i know which makes it even better because like he is just such a good con man yeah but such a good lawyer as well the really clever shot with you know, what is your verdict? And it comes to guilty on a newspaper. I was tricked. Yeah. I got, got tricked. You. And it goes immediately to not guilty, innocent. Guilty, and innocent. You're like, gotta have those papes ready. Yep. <laughs> it's so clever. I loved that as a as a shot, as a bait and switch, because I was like, oh, what? And then I was immediately like, oh, I get it. They're yeah. waiting. You have an expectation from this story that Roxy's going to be fine because she's our protagonist but it's so clever and people come for the papers and we hear bang 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 (laughs) some random woman has shot her husband on the steps on the steps of the courthouse and is immediately carted off and the press go after that and roxy's like my fame they don't even want a picture with me and billy's like you can't beat fresh blood yep oh he's so slimy and clever with the what the diary trick like he got two for one, like half the work, yeah, double the pay, yeah, and it's so brilliant the way he's like plays is like I couldn't tell you because because you're not smart enough, yeah, and it just oh man, it's brilliant. I I just I I loved it. I loved that reveal where he's like actually I did it because we needed we needed it. Yeah, oh, loved it, and. She goes up to the courtroom and you've got Amos sat there. All he needed was like a little flower on his lap to be like, I got you this, like a little daisy yeah. or something. God. And she's like, I'm done with you. I, I love it's the like, point. God, what? You thought I was pregnant this whole time. Of course I'm not. But pregnant. I also love the poor guy. He's going to divorce her. And then. In court in front in of everybody. In court, Billy's like, yeah, you filed for divorce under false pretenses. Would you take her out of her word? She's like, you're the dad. And he's like, okay, I love you again. Gives her a big hug and it was like, oh, And just in that moment, he's like, I'm in love with her all over again. Mm-hmm. And then dashed completely. Yeah. And we get nowadays, I knew this song too. And you said this was in Glee. Nowadays is, yeah. Nowadays slash The Hot Honey Rag is yeah. sung by uh, Rachel and Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, I recognise this one. It's weird in the episode. It doesn't make any sense. It's a weird song, but... It's her audition song. Yeah. I like it, and I I like the moment how, in her head, it kind of 
very classical Hollywood finale. Yeah. I thought that was the end. She's in a cocktail dress. Yes. And she's beautiful. You've just got like the light framing her head. And I feel like credits roll. Uh-huh. And then, oh, it's an audition. And it's a bad one too. They're not interested. So mm-hmm. she leaves and Velma shows up and she's like, we both need something mm-hmm. that's worked together. And Roxy's all like, I hate you and I'm not interested. There's only one job where that doesn't matter. <laughs> yep. And we get the hot honey rag. Velma and Roxy are the scintillating sinners. Mm-hmm. What a great name. Yeah. I love this dance routine. I'm a big fan of it. Oh, this dance is beautiful. And what a way to embrace the notoriety with having the guns and then shooting it out. Like, yeah. It's very Chicago. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, it is. Correct. I I love that ending. It's very Al Capone is what you mean. Yeah, like, yeah. as in Chicago, the real place, like mm-hmm. mafia, mobsters, whatever. And Mama Morton's in the audience. Everyone's Billy Flynn's the there with his guns. Billy's like laughing, going, oh, these two. Yeah, they bring the guns out and he laughs and puts his hand on his head like, oh, you guys. Yeah. And yeah, Mama's there. You know that Mama's getting a cut off both of them. Mm-hmm. And that's the show. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really, really good musical and a really, really good adaptation. Does that mean you enjoyed it? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yay. Before I give you my star rating, mm-hmm. who is your MVP for this? Oh, it's going to have to be Richard Gere. Yeah, I've said Billy Flynn. Anyone that's willing to put in that much effort. Oh, 100%. And he is perfect casting because like it works for his character, but as soon as he's on stage, on screen, you're looking at him to yeah. see what he's doing. But also as well, I didn't know he was as capable a musical performer. Mm-hmm. I feel like all of his songs, the way he sings, they're always quite different. Yeah. So we both reached for the gun. Yeah. Very different kind of vibe to his other ones, like the, the accent. Yeah, the difference that between that. smarmy kind of like vaudeville mm-hmm. act there and everything else is different. The tap dancing, I feel like he does the, shows the most range. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Good, we agree with that one. What's your best song? Ooh. They're all great. I mean, it's it would always be nowadays slash Hot Honey Rag because that just that song has always been my favorite from this musical. Yeah. I love the actual bit of song that you get with that. It's just a nice little ditty. Yeah. But then going into the dance number, I'm obsessed with the choreography yeah. for this dance number. Other than that, probably we both reach for the gun. Yep, same. We both reach for the gun because I just love the choreography for it. It's so different to anything I've ever seen in a musical before. Yeah, I could listen to all of the songs from this over and over again. I really thought I'd be saying Cell Block Tango. What's your Skip It song? Funny Money. Funny Honey. Yes, Funny Honey. I still really enjoyed that one. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's just kind of like forgettable and skippable. Yeah. Mine's Cell Block Tango. But I think it's because it's... I've I've heard that song so much. I can understand that because it's long. Like, if you think about a Spotify playlist, it's on mine. And Mm. it's like six minutes long and it just is... It's a chore. Can't be doing with that. And it doesn't necessarily work as as a Spotify song. No. However, I still think... When I look at what's my best song, I'm not just thinking lyrically. I'm not just thinking in terms of like the way it's sung. I'm looking at the whole performance. Yeah. And if you look at the whole performance here, it's beautiful. Yeah. 
Which role would you want? This is going to be one of the few th- the other things we differ on. Which role would you want to play? Which role do you think I would want to play? I feel, so like, I feel like I've got two options. I feel like you'd want to be Velma. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I find her not more interesting than Roxy, but she. I feel like you can do a lot with her. However, Velma is almost always played by an older actress. Yeah. This is one of the few I things where she's I can kind of understand that in terms she's of... She's supposed to be seasoned. worldly. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if Roxy wants to look up to her. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense if they're the same age. Roxy needs to look up to her to be like, oh, someday I'll get there. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. Plus you can imagine that like she, she knew her sister was having it off with her husband for years and she had no proof that this time she caught them. She caught them, yeah. I... I'd want to be Billy and Amos. I know it's both male roles. Yeah. But like Amos, you could do such a good job with so little. Yeah. And like performing cellophane is is fun. But mm-hmm. just coming across like so like cowardly and then you stand up and you're instantly like, oh, but okay. I, I'll change. Ripped, yeah. But Billy is such, such a fun role. Mm-hmm. There's so much to do. I don't know. I would want to play both of them selfishly. I'm I'm not I'm gonna say both male roles. It's rare that we've got something with s- like two roles that I would desperately want to play. Yeah. Like I can imagine a younger actor would probably have the chance to play Amos. Because like I reckon him and Roxy should come across younger. Yeah. But then that same act could then someday possibly evolve or graduate to Billy. Mm. And like they come back to do Chicago, and this time they're Billy because they're more seasoned and. Yeah. Yeah, I gave it four and a half stars out of five. Ooh, four and a half. Yeah. What what lost it the half? Honestly, is the lack of Velma's depth. Okay, I can see that. I think I want to see more between her and Roxy. Like, they only actually have like. Three exchanges yeah it's not enough for me I kind of want to get more of a sense of their professional like I said earlier like rivalry yeah I can see that you don't get enough of it and like considering Velma's supposed to be this big deal mm. you don't get enough of her and she's performed fantastically but it surprised me like when you think best supporting actress and she wasn't that in, like involved at times. Yeah. The only other person I can think of that set that precedent was like Judy Dench when she won it for Shakespeare in Love and was literally on screen for like six minutes, if that. Because she plays Queen Elizabeth. I haven't seen that. It's really good. You'd hate it because it's got Gwyneth Paltrow in. Probably. But it doesn't doesn't feel like she she doesn't do as much. Like the fact that Richard didn't get a nomination or a win. Yeah. And you no, look he didn't at, even get a nomination. That's what I mean. You look at everything he did, and she won. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying she didn't deserve an Oscar, because she was phenomenal in this. No, and they also wouldn't have been up against each other. No, but like, exactly. I know what you mean. Yeah, it just feels like a shame that others didn't maybe get the praise they should have. Yeah. When she did do arguably less than Billy. Mm-hmm. And I know that makes me sound really awful because I loved Catherine Zeta-Jones in this and she thoroughly deserved it. And when she was on the screen, it was great. I just wanted more of her. Yeah. That's my critique. Mm-hmm. I just wanted more of her. That makes sense. Yeah. 
I enjoyed Chicago though. Yay. It, I, I was kind of dreading it simply because I tried to watch it when I was younger and I just got bored and turned it off. Mm-hmm. I, you know, past me was thoroughly in the wrong there. I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So next week, I don't know what we're doing yet. Because no. there will be a poll that is already up, I imagine. Yes. At this current time when you're listening to this, the poll's already up on our Twitter and on our Instagram. Go and vote for what we should do. Yes. So. There will be options. There will be options. I think at this point, we've got three of the options mm-hmm. and we're possibly going to add a fourth. So by this point in time, you'll see what the fourth option is. Yeah. Option number one is a show that you've been in. Yeah. South Pacific. Yes, the live from the Lincoln Centre, South Pacific. So very similar. I was not in it at the Lincoln no. Centre. Very similar vibe to the carousel we watched then. Eh. Okay. I'm I meant at anything. the Lincoln Centre. Yeah, but it's not done the same way. This is a fully staged performance. The second option, continuing with the nautical theme, is mm. something a bit more modern. Mm-hmm. Starring, I think everyone's favourite Nick Toon is SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh, it's like what Nick Toon, <laughs> SpongeBob yeah. the Musical, yes. Which is the one I'm hoping wins. Yeah. What did you tell me? Option three was option three is Legally Blonde, okay. the filmed MTV musical. Yes, I have never seen Legally Blonde. And then maybe we'll have a mystery fourth option. We'll see. But as it currently stands, you can vote either Legally Blonde, SpongeBob the Musical or South Pacific. Yes. Which one should I force Danny to watch next? Yeah. You have the power. Yeah. It's in your hands. You will find that poll on Twitter and Instagram at It's A Musical Pod. Yep. I will also be sharing it over on Icarus Illustration. Yep. Vote, 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 vote. We like hearing from people. We want to know what Danny should watch. I mean... Oh, I know what I should put as the fourth one. Okay, go for it. I think the fourth one should be the pirate movie. Cool. Because I listened to Musical Musical Man Man. talking about it and um, Musical Theatre Mash has talked about it before. It is a whale of a time. Is it a whale because like the pirates are hunting whales? No. Right, there you go. So Legally Blonde is kind of the odd one out here. It should be like the nautical vote and instead we've got Legally Blonde Blonde added on. Is there any sailors in Legally Blonde? Is there a way we can spin it that it's nautical? No. There is no way we can spin it that it's nautical. Either we can work with the law theme and keep going on that track or we can go over to the the high seas for all of these other musicals. I, I, I imagine like her rich boyfriend has a yacht. Oh, yeah, he does. Is there a scene on a yacht? No. But does he talk about his yacht? Yes. There we go. That's an article theme. One of the characters has a yacht. (laughs) So you can either go for the Pirates movie. You can go for South Pacific. You can go for Legally Blonde. Or you can go, please, 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 (laughs) for Spongebob the Musical. Yeah. That will be on Twitter and Instagram. You can email us at itsamusicalpod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Let us know what you would like us to cover next week. As the summer holidays for us wrap up, Mm -hmm. what better way to see off the summer 
than having some nautical nonsense. Sure. Or legally blonde. <laughs> or legally blonde. With that one character who talked about a yacht that one time. Thank you so much for listening. Yes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or our original host, Podbean. Please, please, please make sure you subscribe, leave a like, leave a review for us. It helps with the old algorithm. Mm -hmm. It was really awesome the other day to see that we had got to 139 in the UK iTunes charts. It's where we're from, you know. We've never charted in the UK before. Lovely to see we got up to 139. Yeah. So leave us a review, subscribe, make sure you are notified when a new episode goes live. And we will see you next Monday. Same bat place, same bat channel. Have a magical musical Monday.